And now by your grace I stand, and healing is in your hands. How wide, how deep, how rich and great is his love for you today. Don't know what your week's been like. Don't know who said what to you this week. Don't know what you may have felt like you got overlooked in spite of what you tried to do right. Don't know what may have come your way that has been difficult to handle. But in this room this morning, and wherever you may be watching this service, here is a truth. You can't get farther than the love of God for your heart for your soul today, no matter where you are, no matter what is going on, how great is his love for you as the object of his love. Now, I know there's some folks, this is probably your first time ever to be sitting in this room. Some folks, maybe the first time ever been watching one of these services. It may be your first time here but that's just all right, and that's just a good thing because you didn't surprise the Lord when you walked in. You know, and some of the rest of us kind of, we might have thought we wanted to sleep in a little bit this morning and be a good, good day to just kick back, but you made the choice. Somehow it worked and got stronger in you that you just wanted to be in the house of the Lord. And the Lord knows you're here. I'm going to tell you, it matters to him. You're honoring the Lord by your presence. And this isn't the only house of worship. This isn't the only place in San Antonio or in the world where you could sense the Lord's presence. Certainly not. But he knows you're here. He knows what's in your heart. And that honors him and that matters to him. Now we're going to talk some more about trust this morning. Believing that we're hearing the Lord say to us, no matter where we are, no matter who we are, saying this to us, trust me, trust me, just trust me. Today we turn a page and here's, here's the focus. When the powerful think they own you, trust me instead. When the powerful think they own you, trust me instead. Have you ever had anybody in your life that affected your emotions, that could affect even some of the physical, material circumstances of your life? Have you ever had somebody powerful enough that they could come to the conclusion in their own mind that they own you? They could tell you how to think, Thought they could tell you what to believe. Thought they could tell you how to behave. Thought they could tell you what to prefer. Thought they could tell you what to despise. And did you ever find yourself not being able to stand it anymore? And so you risked their fury and you risked their force and you had to face the consequences because you couldn't handle it anymore. The thought that someone owned you. It could be a professional circle. It could be a place of employment. 
It could be an academic setting. It could be a family setting. I hate to say this, but it's true. It could even be a marriage. Someone so powerful that he, she, or they just think they own you. If you've ever been in a situation like that, if you are in a situation like that, would you hear the living Lord Jesus Christ who knows exactly where you are? You you, you don't have to inform him of what's going on or where you are. He knows, and he says to you, trust me, trust me instead. There's a story, an amazing, powerful story in your Bible that many, many people have read about, heard about, whether they are believers, Christians, or not. And I want us to look at it this morning. I want you to open your Bible to Daniel chapter 3, the book of Daniel chapter 3, And we're just going to sit with this a little bit this morning. It is a story of three young men who were in a place where probably the most powerful man on the face of the earth at that time, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, thought he owned them. Just to give you an idea of how influential Nebuchadnezzar continues to be, Saddam Hussein of Iraq fame called Nebuchadnezzar his hero. You know why? Because he was the only Gentile king allowed to breach the walls of Jerusalem, sack Jerusalem, plunder the temple, destroy Jerusalem and carry hundreds and thousands of Jewish people into captivity. And so Saddam, hater of the Jewish nation, tried to rebuild, was working to rebuild Babylon in Iraq and do what he could do to copy Nebuchadnezzar. That is the king who has personally selected these four Jewish exiles, Daniel being one of them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, selected them to be brought into his personal service. The early chapters of of Daniel make it very clear, take us through the process of how they were selected. They didn't know the Babylonian language. They knew nothing of the culture. We're not sure if any of their families survived the destruction of Jerusalem. It was just that handful of young men. But the scripture says that God gave to these four young men the ability to learn the literature, the writings, the culture, and to master the language of the Babylonians. God gave them the ability to become so proficient in those areas that after three years of training, when the king, Nebuchadnezzar, brought them in to be interviewed and he would pick from those candidates, and there were a number of them, those who would serve him personally, it says that there were, records that there were, there were no other young men in the category of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because God gave them the ability to learn things that were foreign to them, strange to them, even a language that they had never understood before. They knew that it was God who had given them the ability to do what they did that caused them to be recognized and and brought into places of prominence to be selected. They understood it was not just their ability. They understood it was their God who had done it. And they were understanding that they didn't leave their God when they left Jerusalem. 
that where they were, their God was, that he cared about them, that he had a plan for them, and they wanted to see that worked out in their lives. Well, Daniel was given the ability by the Lord to understand dreams, to interpret dreams. And so at one point, Nebuchadnezzar, who was a dreamer, had a dream, but he put it before these wise men and magicians that he put a lot of confidence in. I'm not going to tell you the dream I had. You've got to tell me the dream back, and I'll know that you've told me the truth because I'm the only one who's going to know what the dream is, and then you are to interpret the dream. And if you can't do that, you're all losing your places in the kingdom. Word got back to Daniel, and he had been selected as one of those wise men, and and God gave him the dream, and God gave him the interpretation of the dream, and Nebuchadnezzar was just blown away, and he, as a result of that, Daniel was elevated even further, a place of prominence in the kingdom. When that happened, in Daniel chapter 2, verse 48, this happened. The king promoted Daniel, gave him many great gifts. He made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel made request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the administration of the province of Babylon while Daniel was at the king's court. So that's how the three friends of Daniel got to where they are. Now, we're not sure how much time passes between verse 49 and chapter 3, verse 1, but follow along as I begin to read this story. Now keep in mind, when the powerful think they own you, the Lord says to us, trust me instead. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits, about 90 feet. And its width was six cubits, about nine feet. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent word to assemble the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. The word went out, and then all of these government officials and leaders showed up, verse 3, for the dedication of the image that the king had set up. Verse 4, then the herald, when they were all gathered, the herald loudly proclaimed, to you the command is given, O peoples, nations, and men of every language, that at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. Okay, so... He feels like, this man of power, that he has the right to tell all of those under his authority what they are to worship, what they are to believe, how they are to behave. Political correctness at its finest. You see, the, here's the deal about powerful people. They're not a problem, necessarily, until you disagree with them. Therefore, verse 7, at that time when all the people heard the sound of the band playing, okay, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the golden image. Now, the this is a section written in Aramaic, not Hebrew in the Old Testament. And this particular verb for worship in the Aramaic language means to adore. Worship, yes, but to adore, to adore this image that the Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Verse 8, for this reason, 
At that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and brought charges against the the Jews, specifically Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They responded and said to the Nebuchadnezzar the king, O king, live forever. You yourself, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the band is to fall down and worship the golden image. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have disregarded you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and anger, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you're ready, at the moment you hear the sound of of the band, to fall down and worship the image that I have made very well. But if you will not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And note this, and what God is there who can deliver you out of my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, We do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, but even if he does not, But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath, and his facial expression was altered toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain valiant warriors who were in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in order to cast them into the furnace of blazing fire. Then these men were tied up in their trousers, their coats, their caps, and their clothes, other clothes, and were cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. Flame of fire was so hot that it slew the men, killed the men who carried Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up to the fire. Verse 23, but these three men fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire, still tied up. Now, we don't know what the dramatic pause is from the end of 23, verse 23, to the start of verse 24, but catch this. Then, after they'd been thrown into the furnace... Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astounded, astounded, and stood up in haste. And he responded and said to the high officials, was it not three men that we cast bound into the midst of fire? And they answered, certainly, O king. But he answered and said, look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of blazing fire and he responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, come out, you servants of the most high God. And come here. Now, is this the same fellow who had just said, What God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Now, the boy wasn't a rocket scientist, but what he did understand was power. 
He understood the ability to defeat death. And he had never been exposed to anything of this magnitude. He couldn't attribute it to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as a result of what happened to them. He directly attributed it to their God. You wouldn't think that a man of that background and that bent would necessarily be able to connect those dots in a spiritual realm. But folks, understand this. When the Lord has you in a position, he has you situated in a spot where it seems as if at times that those in authority over you feel like they own you. It is not necessarily that he cares about you, though he does. But get this. He has designs upon them too. And it may be that there's never been anything like what God's going to do through you, even as you walk through a furnace at their bidding or at their their judgment of you. But as they see how God takes care of you, as they, see how, as they see how God uses the furnace to free you, it impacts them in a way like no other. Nebuchadnezzar, come out, you servant. <laughs> I mean, the boy can turn on a dime, can't he? Come out, you servants of the Most High God, and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire, not on a stretcher, no ambulance hauling them out, walked out. They were thrown in, bound. They walked out free. And the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the king's high officials gathered around And saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men, nor was the hair of their heads singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who put their trust in him, violating the king's command and yielding up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. Now, they're not telling him, this is... This is Nebuchadnezzar saying these things. Therefore, what a man of love he is. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation or tongue, that speaks anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses produced to a rubbish heap inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. Then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. Now, I wanted to read that whole story in its entirety before we come back and start to look at certain specific places. Just begin here. Let me give you a recipe for moral chaos. A recipe for moral chaos. The powerful plus the desperate to make it often turns into a culture of moral chaos. The powerful, the influential, who can open doors or close doors plus the desperate to make it that combination can often lead to a culture of moral chaos. Case in point, Hollywood. The way the powerful 
are stripped of that potential weapon is when there are no desperate to make it candidates. And I submit to you that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not desperate to make it men. They understood their source of strength. They understood where their, the favor that was upon them came from. And it wasn't from Nebuchadnezzar. They answered to a higher calling. And as a result of that, they couldn't be bought and they wouldn't be compromised. And in that sense, they remained free. Nebuchadnezzar, on the other hand, had very likely never been told no had never been stood up to. All those around him evidently, and this is perhaps the way it can be with damaging powerful people, is that they have the ability to blow up in such a thermonuclear capacity. Who would dare to trip that trigger? Who would dare to make them that mad? But you know when it's something that is an issue that is bigger than the immediate, immediate setting, when, when, it's, when it's bigger than just the opinion of a boss or the opinion of someone who has some leverage, and it's tied into what you as a follower of Jesus Christ know is something that either pleases your God or grieves your God. That determines it for you. They, they couldn't bow down before the graven image because that was one of the top ten. You should not fashion any graven images. But it could have been, you shall not lie, and they were being told to lie. Or if you're going to make it, you've got to sleep with this producer. Or you've got to make your way around through bedroom and hotel room in order to prove that you're one of the group. Thou shalt not commit adultery. When it crosses a line for the follower of Jesus Christ and the recognition that in order to honor my God, I may be found dishonoring earthly authority. But I choose to honor my God. And folks, here's something that's striking. Not at any point in any of this, following the journey of these three men, do you find them saying or praying, God Get us out of this mess. God, deliver us. God, bless me. God, rebuke the devil. But here's what you get. The sense is, God, would you give us the ability to honor you? There's a difference between all the time having to get blessings from God and favor from God and proof that he loves us by, by being some, some, uh, some more creature comforts or a little less pressure. That, but but, but what, if, what if the higher calling upon your life in that difficult place where you may be right now is not, oh, God, get me out of this. Oh, God, bless me with another car. Bless me with, with this or that. It's God. Will you by your spirit give me the spunk to stand up and to honor you with my life? Whether by life or by death, Paul said, may Christ be exalted in my body. He wasn't demanding wealth. He wasn't demanding deliverance but what he was passionate about. Whether I live or die, Lord, may my life honor you. May my life honor you. I want to say to you, 
That may be exactly why you're in the tough place, the tight place, the barren place, the lonely place, where it can seem as if the powerful around you just feel like they own you. It's like you, don't even, you can't even think. You, you can't even have your own opinion. You can't even choose. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. The Lord says, when the powerful think they own you, you trust me. And God will give you the spunk to stand up to the powerful. And God will give you the faith to walk through the furnace if that comes. And notice this too. The companionship in the furnace. Walked in three, but to met somebody. Not on the outside, not back over here in the comfort before the heat. This fourth, like the Son of God, which many would accept, that's a pre-Bethlehem appearance of Jesus Christ. Joshua met him outside the walls of Jericho with the, the warrior with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua says, who are you? Are you for us or are you against us? And the answer was neither. But I came as captain of the Lord's hosts. And Joshua immediately knew that it wasn't just a, an earthly warrior. It wasn't just an angel. He fell on his face before the Lord Jesus outside the walls of Jericho and the Lord gave him the instructions on how to fight the battle of Jericho in the furnace in Babylon, not by the Sea of Galilee, not, not on the Mount of Olives, not in the temple court in Jerusalem, but in a pagan, foreign, godless land in the middle of a place of death, Jesus shows up. He has that way about him, folks. I love what old Charles Spurgeon said. He, he's familiar with the bleak side of the mountain. They had a companionship. They met somebody in the bottom of that furnace that they had never known in that way, and there was no report of any what went on as they walked the four together. But here's the, here's the principle of that. If it's God's plan for you to walk through a furnace in honoring to him, then you can expect that somewhere along the way, you're going to know him better. See him more clearly. Hear his voice to your heart more profoundly than if you had never walked through that furnace. So, when the powerful think they own you and you disagree with them and they blow up at you and beyond that, they have the ability to put you to death, not just fire you, not just divorce you, but destroy you. And you walk through, you're walking through the circumstances. Here's what you're doing. You're saying, Lord, let my life let my life honor you. You have blessed me. You have provided for me. You have delivered me. You have been good to me. Now I'm asking you to let me honor you. You know, it can be a sad thing if a man or a woman lives all the days of their lives and they have never experienced a season like this 
in which they responded in the ways that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego responded. What I mean is, there's a powerful something, a powerful father, a powerful mother, a powerful group of friends, a a, a powerful and well-placed group of professional colleagues, whatever it would be. But out of fear of how mad they would get or out of hesitation because of what they might do if you don't buckle, you chicken out. You live your life as a coward. One of the things that the spirit of the living Jesus will do for people Simon Peter, the coward, right? I don't know him. I don't know the man. But the spirit of living Jesus filled him. And he stood up like a lion on the day of Pentecost and he proclaimed boldly the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And Peter and John stood before the same group that initiated and carried through the crucifixion of Jesus, the same faces They were called before that group to testify. Instead of it being Simon Peter, the chicken, it was Simon Peter, the champion. And they commented to each other. Somebody wrote this down. It might have been Paul, Saul, who was a part of the group, but back in in the wings. But it says that they, as they observed the boldness, Bravery, confidence of Peter and John. They recognize them as having been with Jesus. The living Jesus Christ will put metal in your bones, fire in your heart, love that isn't diminished even though you have to take a stand against those who oppose you. But you won't bend And you won't bow. And by the grace of God, you won't burn either. Because he knows the plans that he has for you. Not for calamity and destruction, but plans for a future and a hope. Nebuchadnezzar, more than likely, had never been stood up to before. But this is incredible. He gets stood up to. He throws his tantrum. He follows through on his threats. But God rescues those whom he's seeking to destroy. And as an immediate and direct result of the power of God being demonstrated, Nebuchadnezzar sees it as plain as this piece of wood in front of me or that cushion right there. This is a God that I don't know anything about. This is the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is their God. He sent his angel to deliver ones who put their trust in him. That's what he said. They were trusting in this God. They were trusting in this God. And, and then, he, then he says, and, but by disobeying the king's command. I told them to do something, and they said, we ain't going to do it. They said, well, I'm going to throw you in the fire. And they just said, pitch, brother, pitch. Because we ain't changing. We answer to a higher calling. Our lives are in his hands. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Now, they didn't know. Folks, they didn't know whether that would be the other side of the furnace or by way of death. But they knew, oh, that their God had a grip on their soul. And he would not let them go. Hallelujah. Proved to Nebuchadnezzar 
that he wasn't as tough and big and bad and powerful as he thought he was. But it took these three young men standing up to him. Folks, listen. Peace, peace, so-called peace, is not always a good thing. There's supposed to be a level of measure of peace at Dominguez prison, but it's still a prison. There's supposed to be order, taking meals, taking showers, quiet after the lights go out in the cells, peace, but it's still a prison. Are you living in a prison just in hopes that things will remain peaceful, that you would dare not upset someone, you would dare not risk the consequences, when what if the things that you are being asked to be quiet about or to violate are things that grieve the heart of the God who has the power to make your life, to grow your expanse. But I'm looking here instead of my gaze being here. The name may not be Nebuchadnezzar. It may not be Babylon. But I'm just telling you, I believe the Lord's calling some of us to freedom. Now here's a We'll finish with this. The freedom of the furnace. Those would seem to be two mutually exclusive terms, freedom and furnace. It would seem as if how in the world could that be anything positive? Here's the positive. They went to the furnace not because they were told to, but because they chose to. They had a choice. God, give us the ability to make the choice here that pleases you. They knew what it would take to back Nebuchadnezzar off. That they knew that he would let them off the hook if they just bent something that was dear to them and they just tried to ignore it and look the other way and forget about it, but they didn't. <laughs> they went into the furnace free. They hadn't cowed. They hadn't compromised. They hadn't bent. They were doing what they wanted to do in a sense instead of what they were told to do. The king was telling them, you bow, you worship, and you're free. But if you want, this is what happened. They went in free. Flames were hot. Death looked to be certain. But there was a sense in which their spirits were right. Their heads were held high. They were going to their death as far as they knew it, honoring their God. Amen. But then watch this. Nebuchadnezzar stands up and he looks in there. He sees four, but he also makes note of the fact, I know. I had my soldiers bind them, bind their hands, but they're walking around loosed and without harm. Folks, listen, listen. Here's what the flame, here's what the furnace will do for you. It will burn off any remaining residual effect of anything that an earthly king or an earthly ruler or an earthly powerful person would try to impose upon you. Free. Free. I don't know what they were doing with their hands, but they weren't just limping along, bound.
See, the devil doesn't want us to see that. The devil doesn't want us to understand that. The devil operates in the zone of fear. He rules in the place of fear. Jesus rules in the place of love. Jesus rules in the place of courage. Jesus rules in the place of what's right. And he can give you the gift of spunk. It's not one of those listed by the apostle Paul, but I'm telling you, it's got to be there somewhere. Give you the gift of spunk. Jesus said, but that the world may know that I love the Father. And as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. He didn't ask the Father to deliver him from the cross. He understood that that was his mission in coming to this earth. But that the world may know that I love the Father. Nebuchadnezzar knew by the example, by the choices these young men made, that they were loving a God, serving a God different than, bigger than anyone he had ever known. And as a result of what the Lord did with those three young men, perhaps the most powerful man on the face of the earth is forced to acknowledge the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians 1.10, Am I seeking the favor of men or God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still striving to please men, I would cease to be a bondservant of Christ. Only one to please. Only one to honor. And when we do that, he will see to it in time that the other matters of importance in our lives fall into place. The Christian life is an incredibly simple life. One who saves us, one who keeps us, only one we have to honor. When the powerful think they own you, Hear him say, trust me instead. Trust me instead. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me for just a moment before we go? I don't mean for this in any way to sound as if this is some sort of a trite nursery rhyme, make-believe kind of story. The Bible treats this as a literal, actual account, a historical accounting of events in the lives of these three men. Another part of the amazement of this is that there had never been an account of God delivering people from a flaming furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego couldn't say to each other, well, you know, like God getting our people across the Red Sea or the Jordan River, God brought people through a fire like this on this occasion, on this occasion. It had never happened before. So what were they doing? Oh, my brother and my sister, please, please let this in. What they were doing was trusting him, counting on him, relying on him, putting their confidence in him, not for a specific result, 
not for a deliverance from the flame, but in the middle of the circumstances of their lives. There can be a difference between trusting God for something and just trusting God in the middle of something. Leaving the results to him. Sometimes he gives specific insight as to how to pray and what to believe for, but sometimes he doesn't. How shall we work the works of God? How shall we do the miracles they ask of Jesus? And Jesus said, this is the work of God. That you believe in him whom he has sent. You just believe me. You just believe me. You just trust me. Lord, will you give us that ability for the things that we're in the middle of right now? I pray, Lord, that where this needs to go to encourage ones in the middle of business situations that that have all kinds of moral implications, that there'll be courage and clarity and a definition in our understanding as to what our position needs to be. Lord, I pray that the curse would be broken of of, of the imposing um, presence of individuals, even in family settings, where they're not challenged because they're just too big a personality or what would they withdraw or add to our personal lives if they were crossed. Lord, deliver us from any prison like that. Help us to see it as a prison. It's not freedom. It is a prison. And you've said, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom, freedom. In Jesus' name, amen.